All right. Well, I know you guys kind of know that I enjoy gardening. It was a real bummer, right, to see a little bit of snow this morning. It was fine. But if you've been to my house and seen my backyard, I think many of you have, um, you have a bit of a sense of the space. For those of you who haven't been, or maybe for some of you Zoomies, Rachel and I's backyard is, we've, we've got a city lot, so I would say for a city lot, it's relatively long. And it's a little bit strangely shaped. It kind of tapers in the back, and it's got a big wooden fence all around it. And then behind our fenced-in area, there's another little piece of property that got sort of tacked onto our lot. And I think it's because it's just backed by a couple of alleys, and they threw it onto our property. So we've got a ton of mowing. And it's our goal to, you know, slowly maybe eliminate some of that grass and get some more native plants and things. But that's just like one of our, you know, 10-year goals. But along that back lot that we have, there's a row of seven black walnut trees that don't belong to us. They're across the alley, so they belong to our neighbor. And I've always known that with like, black walnut trees, um, you can have a lot of difficulty planting things near them. So if you have one, you probably know this. I think of the, like, the trees that don't play well with others um, because they've got, you know, there's these toxins that are part of their leaves and even in their roots. And that toxin's called juglone, and it just spreads out from the tree. And so I had been reading when we moved in. I read a little bit, and I was like, okay, so black walnut trees affect a radius of like 40 to 60 feet. So we just sort of assumed, okay, that back lot, it's just filled with that chemical. We've been working with it, and it's fine. Well, after seven years of owning that house, Rachel and I started to realize um, that a lot of the plants that are in, like the fenced-in part of our backyard, the part that is more immediate to our house, that things either aren't blooming or they have stunted growth. We've got this big, beautiful lilac bush that gets like two or three flowers while we look longingly at our other neighbor across the room, you know, who's got just like all these great flowers. And we're like, what is wrong with our stuff? We've got five fruit trees that I was so excited about when we moved in. And they're probably 15 years old and they're just scraggly and small. And I mean, I think we literally got one piece of fruit off of those five trees last year. And I mean, we've pruned, we've been looking at diseases. It's just been this big heartbreak. Um, so I had this little aha moment uh, last summer. Oh wait, I wanted to tell you a story off topic. I didn't put in my notes. The one thing that will grow back there is poison ivy. Okay, so I was back cleaning off the fence last week and I thought I was just getting a bunch of wild grapevines, which also like it. So I'm cleaning all those off and there, there were some vines that I wasn't quite sure what they were, but I didn't know what poison ivy looked like in the winter. Apparently, it's got these little berries that look like shriveled up grapes. So anyway, did I put gloves on? No. I'm just out there for hours doing this. Well, you know, I mean, I know to wash my hands, but I, I made a little mistake. Um, Rachel came out to say hi or do something in the yard, and I went over to her, and I was just trying to be sweet. I did what I do, which I put my hand on her neck by her ear. I gave her a kiss, and then I just let my hand like, go like that. Very sweet. <laughs> and then I went in and washed my hands. <laughs> and she woke up the next day with these streaks, like you could see my fingers <laughs> running down her <laughs> side. So she got a steroid pill. She's my long-suffering wife. It was very... So anyway, I've got a little poison ivy, but I felt really bad. It was like a spouse fail. You can still see it probably a little bit, but anyway. It's just like the trail I left there. 
So anyway, the poison ivy does really well, but we planted blueberry bushes, all those died, you know, all these things. So I had this aha moment last summer when our Tuesday book group was reading a book um, by a Celtic botanist. Her name is Diana Beresford Kroger. And she just mentioned in this one little sentence in the book that in her experience, black walnut trees can affect things like 100, 120 feet, maybe even further. And I was like, oh. So I called the Michigan State Gardening Helpline because that's how geeky I am, and they were great. And I got this retired arborist who had taken care of like orchards his whole life. And he got on, he looked up like a survey of our land. He's like, okay, here's the kind of soil you have, and here's the incline. And we did conclude that like, yeah, the black walnuts are probably affecting at least half of our backyard. All that to say, I've been fighting a losing battle with the land for seven years. And I have to admit that even after I had that realization last summer that that juggalone was poisoning everything, I still tried planting a few things. So I went and I got a couple rose bushes and I planted them like just on the edge of where I thought they might be affected. Neither of them made it to spring. I put a couple of evergreens I thought might be hardy enough, also dead. And so I think I finally arrived at a place of acceptance. After years of dreaming, so if you know me, like, I like to dream and have a big creative vision and then work toward that slowly. And seven years of doing that, I've just had to relinquish it all, time and money, and just start over. It was like I got to work with what I have and not with what I don't have or what I wish I had. It's like taking an accurate assessment of my reality. All right, so I've got new seeds, and I'm going to get going on that. But I share all of these gardening travails because I think it's a decent metaphor for a deeply spiritual concept of learning to accept the things we cannot change. Right. I was talking about that with some of the volunteers this morning when we couldn't get the Zoom up. I was like, oh, it's, it's kind of fitting, you know? Like, we can only do what we can do and not what we can't do. Accept the things we cannot change. And if that wording sounds familiar, it's because it's from a famous prayer, the Serenity Prayer, which is used by a lot of people in the recovery community. So if you have the little sheet that we passed out, I do have it on there if that's helpful to you. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, taking this world as it is and not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I might be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. So I remember when I was in my late 20s, I studied for a few months in Jerusalem, and I had a, a German mentor. Her name was Dagmar. It's a great name. And I remember her looking at me and saying, if there's one thing you need to learn personally in your spiritual walk, Emily, it's the wisdom of a serenity prayer. And she recommended that I pray it every day, and I'm not going to lie to you, it totally rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> I was a little bit like, you don't know me that well. I don't know why you think I need this prayer. <laughs> but for years, I'm like, oh, she was right. Dang, she saw me. And so I think I've had to learn to balance like, my natural idealism with some pragmatism. And I would say that most Christians, and maybe we could even just say most humans who want to try to be better humans, right, and who want the world to be a better place for everyone, we carry that tension in us, right? It's this tension of hoping for a better world that's more just and safe and having to balance that dream with accepting the current realities and resources that are at our disposal that keep this better world from coming into being. And I think that's a hard tension to carry well, right? It's 
a little bit reflected in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven, right? It's this idea of desiring what in our tradition we call the kingdom of God or the good realm of God while recognizing that it's not fully here and just figuring out how to live within that and survive within that reality. And so both the Dalai Lama and Bishop Tutu address this in the Book of Joy, which is the book that we've loosely been using for our Lenten sermon series. They talk about being able to accept our current circumstances as a good place to begin. So there's a quote on your, on your sheet that probably can go on to the Zoomy chat. This one's by Bishop Tutu. He said, acceptance, whether we believe in God or not, allows us to move into the fullness of joy. It allows us to engage with life on its own terms rather than rail against the fact that life is not as we would wish. Right? And this doesn't mean that we resign ourselves to our own oppression or to the oppression of others. Right? Both the Dalai Lama and Bishop Tutu have been just tireless advocates for the oppressed. Right? And so I don't think we should hear it that way. It doesn't mean that we give up on friends or family with whom we struggle and just say, okay, well, they are who they are. Nothing will change. It's not that. It just means that we accurately assess our situations and realize that we, what we can't control so that we can focus on what we can control. So I thought, I can speak from my personal lens here um, just because I think it'll help clarify it. Right? You know, I'm a queer woman. I believe I'm beloved of God and that I deserve the same respect and dignity as every other human, right? And it would be easy to live my life filled with despair or rage that the world isn't always fair to people like me. It's not as it should be, right? And that's still in our state. I can be legally fired, I can lose my housing, medical professionals can deny me service. I have been fired, I have had my housing compromised. Right, so it's not hypothetical. Faith communities have kicked me out. There's only two adoption agencies in this entire state that will adopt to queer couples because the so-called Christian ones won't adopt to people like us. Right, I, I'm affected by that. Friends of mine are affected by that. And so at times I'm rightly sad and angry about those things and I'm like really, really mad about the legislation like don't say gay law that just passed in Florida. And I'm concerned about the kids that live there, the queer kids especially. But if I live in that despair and that rage, like if I let that consume me and become part of like all of my thoughts, all it does is it seeds more of my joy and more of my energy to people who would love to see my strength extinguished. Right? And I want my strength. Right? So I can enjoy my life. I've got a great life. I've got a lovely wife. I've got a great home. I've got good friends. I need that energy so that I have leftover to push justice forward where I'm able to. And so there's another quote there by the Dalai Lama. He says, why be unhappy about something if it can be remedied? And what's the use of being unhappy if it cannot be remedied? Right? So if you have the ability to remedy a problem, do it. Get to work. Right? Start to work toward that goal. And if you don't have the ability, don't waste your emotions or your energy on it. Right? So it's, it's about being pragmatic about what we can do to change things and then surrendering to the divine spirit what we can't change. Right, so that's, if relinquishing things that we can't control isn't giving up, let me give an example of what it does look like. And this was an example that the book gave um, about a neighbor who was difficult. And I might extend that to say, maybe it's like a coworker who's difficult, 
saying, if you've got a, a difficult neighbor or coworker who's just causing you all kinds of angst, we have a choice, right? We can choose to judge and criticize them. We can live in anxiety and despair that that person doesn't like us and they don't treat us well. Or we can just sort of deny that there is a problem and, and ignore it and go on. But none of those options is awesome. Right? None of those help us grow more connected and whole. And I would say that the first two of those are actually actively harmful to us. Right? Like, I don't want to live my life as a super critical, judgy person, you know, like letting that go through my mind all the time. And I don't want to become super despairing over the actions of somebody whose behavior I can't control. Right? So I have to be able to step back and say, that's not about me. And instead, we choose acceptance. And that starts with just saying, I can accept that this neighbor or this coworker or this extended family member, they're difficult. They're just a difficult person for me, and I'd like to improve that relationship. And I know that I might not succeed in that, but I can try. And I can be kind to them, I can cultivate compassion for them, I can try and understand the bad behavior, that that means that they're probably not that happy themselves. I can take the opportunity to extend relationship, right? Make somebody soup if they're sick, a neighbor. But the idea then is to disengage from any expected outcome, right? It's to kind of set the expectation because we can't control the outcome. And so with that mindset, I think we can have a little bit more peace of mind, like that we're doing what we can do and not what we can't, while allowing the other person to, you know, have their own feelings over which we have no control. And this extends to accepting ourselves um, and our own limitations. Right? And embracing who we are right now, not who we wish we were, or some vision of who we want to be that we can't quite live up to, whether that's with parenting or whether that's with our health or whatever it is. The idea is that God meets us and accepts us right where we're at, and then we can grant ourselves that same love and care. And when we start from that place of acceptance, of having this honest assessment of the situation, we can focus on how to affect the most good then within the parameters of what is in our control. And again, we can do what we can and not what we can't. So I think there's one more quote from the Dalai Lama. Our responsibility is to pursue the goal with all of the dedication that we can muster, to do the best we can, but not become fixated on preconceived notions of the results. Sometimes, actually quite often, our efforts lead to unexpected outcomes that might even be better than what we originally had in mind. And this is where I thought the example of my backyard might just be a helpful story to grasp. Right? I started with this preconceived notion, Rachel has heard about all of my dreams there, what I wanted it to look like, and it was beautiful in my head. And spending years trying to do that, and it's been hard for me to just relinquish that and give it up, even after admitting there was an issue that would actually prevent me from doing what I want to do. Right? And so now I can face that as it actually presents, and in doing that, I'm going to end up with a vastly different outcome. But it could even be better than what I thought. And I think this is a good, um, just like a good spiritual nugget as we think about how to bring about God's good realm and justice and peace on this earth, is that when we think that we know how to achieve a particular goal, sometimes we don't. We see through a glass darkly, as the Apostle Paul says. And so that forces us to partner with the Holy Spirit to work together toward this outcome that maybe we can just see 
one step in front of us at a time and we can just take that one step with that person or with that situation. You know, I, I didn't really even write an ending because I was like, how do you even like articulate that idea that's like held in Colossians? This idea that like God or the great spirit or the logos just holds everything together, right? That everything was created in this spirit or logos and in him we live and move and have our being like what does that even mean I don't know but I feel like part of our our spiritual quest is to try and like tap into that divine spirit of love and we do that in all kinds of different ways whether it's just meditation or being in nature or listening to other people who are close to us but trying to tap into that to figure out just what the next step is and that we don't always have to have the entirety figured out. Does that make sense? So with that, I think we'll just meditate here a bit on, I've got Proverbs 3, 5 through 10 written on your sheet. Oftentimes we do a couple of minutes of just silence or guided meditation. And I thought, I'll just keep it a little simpler this morning. Maybe just make ourselves comfortable and breathe. And just from this place of just relaxation and openness before God, um, I would just read this this bit from Proverbs and just let the Spirit speak to us however the Spirit would like. Place your trust in the eternal. Rely on them completely. Never depend upon your own ideas and inventions. Give God the credit for everything you accomplish and God will smooth out and straighten the road that lies ahead. And don't think that you can decide on your own what's right and what's wrong. Respect the eternal. Turn and run from evil. If you depend on God, your body and mind will be free from the strain of a sinful life, will experience healing and health, and will be strengthened at their core. Pay tribute to the eternal in all of your affairs. Honor them with the best of what you make. That way you will prosper to the fullest and have plenty of food to eat and drink to drink. That I'll end by praying to Spirit, help us um, to be able to differentiate and discern what's within our control and what isn't within our control. Help us to be able to truthfully assess ourselves, our relationships, um, the situations around us so that we have an accurate understanding of where we're starting from. And I ask that your Spirit would help us to really differentiate between what it is that we can affect and what we can't affect. And that you would help us to preserve our strength so that we can focus um, on finding joy in our lives, finding refreshment, so that we can thrive. So those steps that you are asking us to take in those places where we can affect change, that we have the energy and the focus to do that. And we do all of this for the goodness of your kingdom and for your good realm, and for the sake of the spirit of love, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.